Holly, good morning, Ibiza420, Vic, Stock and Lock, that's us, Daniel Prague, good morning, uh, Omer, Omer, uh, please correct me on these names if I'm getting them wrong, oh, Rajesh, great to see you, see you all across channels, Kevin and G-Man, seeing some faces and... Okay, so Jake, Jake, while we're, while we're getting everyone into the live stream, why don't we tell everyone, like, while everyone's just coming in, why don't we talk about what happened with our swag store this past week? <laughs> Okay, first off, gonna plug the swag store. Um, we'll probably plug this once more at the end of the stream. We do our best. Like, we're not here to sell. Obviously, we are the founders of Stock and Lock. We'd love for you to try out the software and product we're building, but you know, we're mostly here to talk about stock. Yeah. That being said, backed by popular demand, Daniel, we have had a lot of people ask us to buy sweatshirts, to get Stock and Lock swag. We are not pushing you guys to do this, but it's here. I'll also post this link, but we have the. <laughs> Stock and Lock Swag Store. Let's go. Finally happened. <laughs> uh, yes, this has been months in the making. Uh, if you have been waiting for this, here you go. If you haven't, just ignore the link. Um, but of yeah, course, so we yeah. were we were being asked by a lot of people to make a swag store, so we did, and um, we put Jake in charge of making the swag shop. You know, in hindsight, maybe a bad idea because <laughs> so we wanted you know the sweatshirts, the hoodies. Um, a hat, you know, things like that, maybe a mug. Jake goes into the swag shop and puts in women's leggings, like with the stock and lock logo all over the leggings. He he makes pillows. Um, there was a bath mat in there. There was figures. a bath mat. There was everything stickers. was available in every color. <laughs> like you could have ordered like a lime green, like yellow stock and lock thing. So, so here's the thing. I get excited about this stuff and I go to the team and I say, here's the swag shop. And the response is, Jake, what the hell did you do? And I was, yeah. I do my best to like not get insulted, but I, I was a balloon deflated kid there. And I'm kind of like, what are you guys talking about? Like, they'll just buy what they want. And it was a pretty strong reaction. And I realized I was on an island and we ended up having a 10 minute conversation about leggings. I basically tried to make a stand about how it was the politically correct thing to do to have leggings. I got eviscerated by my founders, rightfully so. And our ghost, you're wrong, but give us your opinion <laughs> in the chat if you would have bought stock and lock leggings but i still think it was a good idea oh, oh man what a what a week anyways that was fun so i guess we got quite a bit of people in here now we've been streaming for three minutes so we should probably just hop into it eh? let's talk about stocks you want All to right. put that discord chat or you want to say what you've been buying this week yeah i'll start off with what i've been buying um honestly mostly what i've been buying over the past week is just bam <laughs> i've seen I've seen so many questions about BAM. Here, I'll actually just share my screen really quick. Yeah, and maybe interweave into this too a little bit about the BAM and BN stock because there was a spinoff that we got a lot of questions on in our Discord into stock and lock support. Yeah, there was, and that's what I mean. So the CEO of um, Brookfield Asset Management himself, so they did the spinoff. I did a massive video on my personal channel, but they did the spinoff because they believe this is going to create value for shareholders over the long term. But they said immediately when this happens, there is going to be a lot of confusion. Like, it, you know, for a few months, no one's really going to know what's going on. And I think that this confusion is causing a lot of people to sell their shares of BAM because what happened is Brookfield Asset Management spun off the shares that we're taking a look at right now and Brookfield Asset Management became BN. So people basically have their BN shares now, and then they were gifted BAM shares. And what I think is happening is like people don't really understand what's going on fully. 
So I think that now they're getting these BAM shares in their account. And I've just been noticing people are selling them like every single day. Like this stock has been down basically 5% ever since it's become in existence. And it's just like, you know, basically crashing. Um, you know why that might be? As I said, I just, I just think that people are kind of confused. They don't really know what's going on here. And um, I have a screenshot. So I'll show everyone how I've been kind of valuing this business. Because, where's my screenshot? Oh my goodness, right here. Okay. So this is Brookfield's announcement on December 6th. So the BAM shares are going to be a higher dividend paying company, as I said in my video. And the manager right here, it says the manager is expected to pay a quarterly dividend of 32 cents per share. So this is kind of how I've been valuing the business, okay? If you take a 32 cent per share, sorry, a 32 cent per quarter dividend, and you multiply that by four. <laughs> Very early for math. Yes. I have more coffee, clearly. You're two hours before me, right? Because it's 11, 17 a.m. in New York. Yeah, but anyways, um, this is a $1.28 annual dividend, right, for the BAM shares. So then you can divide this by 27.11 and multiply this by 100%. And this means that the shares currently actually have a 4.72% dividend yield. So the dividend on these shares right now is actually pretty significant, and they're projecting to grow this dividend by 15 to 20% annually over the next five years, which will end up at this point being a 9 to 11% dividend within five years. So... That's what I mean. So I'm kind of just like, I don't know why the stock is selling off so much. You know, none of the data has been updated anywhere. Like even on Stock Unlock, our data hasn't been updated. On Yahoo Finance, data has not been updated. So the the true data behind the stock isn't really there yet. And I think that's kind of where the opportunity is. Yeah, we, we have a couple good comments in the chat. Uh, Don Pasto says, don't look good to me like at all. Fair enough. Uh, drop drop your reasoning we love to talk sometimes daniel and i disagree about stocks so we're, we're all here to have conversations and yeah i would love to hear uh i would love to hear why and we have any reasons not to buy the end also before we answer nothing we talk about here is financial advice just fun opinion so please do your own research before buying any market security or talk to your tax professional today that was like that was almost too professional jake that was like rehearsed anyways it, 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 it was rehearsed the end so <laughs> BN, I mean, I still own quite a bit of BN in my personal portfolios. I just think that BAM has been selling off more. Like, since this split has happened, BAM has been the stock that's been, been sold off so much. BN has been a lot more stable. So I, I simply just think that BAM, on a simply value basis, looks more attractive to me right now. And also, I've been adding it in my tax-deferred account. So that dividend income coming in is going to be... um not taxed essentially looks uh michael is all in so well, i mean that's that's interesting but you know monish Prabhai, he owns bam and i think that he only owns like three stocks in his portfolio at a time so he's pretty heavy in bam as well well sweet have you been buying anything else this week or has it just been like going pretty heavy on bam because this is like kind of an asset play right like i we've talked about this one before but it's not a stock i've invested in so i don't follow it super closely yeah, that's pretty much the only stock that I've been buying over the past week. My DCAs have started to slow down because I'm trying to pile up cash because on January 1st, I can contribute to my TFSA, my tax-free savings account. So I'm trying to pile up some cash so immediately on January 1st, I can plow that cash into the account. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, I have that set up on our side too. Also, like looking, uh, we will not be having too much of a tax conversation here, but it is tax loss harvesting season. Um, typically around this time of year, sometimes you see the market move around and get a little bit crazy because you definitely have big firms and people doing sales to optimize their taxes. Uh, no, we will not be giving tax advice here. And Daniel, I will not give another rehearsed. This is not financial advice. It was really fun though. I yeah. Think. Ronald Regan says Daniel is wearing God's team's hat. So funny story. This hat was actually sent to me by someone who watches my YouTube channel who lives in Oregon. So I actually don't follow this team, but I just really like that someone sent me some merch of their own. So I wear it. As Dude, a I, thought that was Oak, I thought that was like Oakley's, but oh. now I'm looking at it more and like it's wrong. I, I worked for a company called Oscar Health. They're actually public and you can look at their stock. And they, their circle was an O too. So all of our swag like just had the circle on it. And like no one knew what it was because it overlaps with like so many other companies. Um, we got a comment right here, Jake from Kalor that says, I've bought Airbnb, Match Group, and BAM this week. Same. I don't want to repeat myself from last stream, but I have started buying into Airbnb. We did, I believe it was episode nine. If you go back to that, I'm so sorry if that's incorrect, but I believe episode nine and around the first 15 minutes, we go through a little investor deck. We made just our own opinions, but yes, I scooped up some more shares. The holding went to over, I think a thousand total dollars in my portfolio, which officially to me means that it's like a real position. I am personally holding this long. Uh, if you want to drop some of your thoughts, Kayla, as to what you see about the stock that you like, let me know. But I'm in there for the long haul. Love the CEO, love the product. I think they got a really good foothold in the industry. And I'm loving their cash flows, their growth, treating shareholders well by offsetting uh, internal share-based compensation with stock buybacks, which is incredible. They survived COVID. So it's one of those stocks I could rant about for a while of uh, how much I like it. A, a little weirdness with China. So you want to look into that if you have a high sensitivity to companies doing business in China. Airbnb, I don't think is super clean there. So definitely want to call that out for people and also make it very clear that I am aware of that. Um, I don't judge you for your decisions and don't judge me for mine. <laughs> okay, we got a question here from G-Men that says, question for both of you gents. If Santa gave you 5K, where would you invest it? Bro, you're, you're plowing that into your uh, tax-free account, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's see. So I'll, I'll take this question quick. I'll watch the time too, because I think this could easily get out of control. Yeah. I don't like throwing down money at once. So I know you might not have meant this, but if I was given 5K, the first thing I would do is think. I would look, do I have any high upstanding debts? For me, that answer is no. And kind of just run through the list of making sure that I'm not like levered up. After that, where I'm looking at in the market right now, for me, Definitely long-term holds. I think there's a lot of stocks that have been beaten down. What I would do personally is probably put around three to four of that into existing holdings I have, which I like. And if I was just given $5,000, I have been debating like pure gambling in the stock market. But I'm serious, Daniel, like just taking $1,000, putting like, you know, like 500 bucks into Coinbase, like 500 bucks into Meta and be like, look, I think there's a 75% chance for like Coinbase that it might go to zero. But like if this thing sticks around and it is like the one exchange that didn't get screwed and is actually loved by regulators, you know, I do think that there's a really big bull thesis along with NFTs and stuff. Like, of course it's crashed. So I would maybe gamble a little bit too. Great question. What would you do with $5,000 besides buy a great gift for Shelby if she is listening to the stream? <laughs> Dude, we're going to we're going to Asia in less than a month now, man. We're we're a little bit bagged up on gifts. Um, 
what would I buy? Okay, so this is an interesting question because it really just depends. So, for example, I am currently... There's a massive blizzard going on outside, sorry. Wow. Okay, so I am trying to fund my TFSA right now, which is a tax-free savings account, which is tax-deferred. And in my TFSA and in my RRSP, which are both tax-deferred accounts, I like to place my most of my dividend stocks in those accounts. So my those accounts only have dividend stocks in them. So basically, immediately once I fund that account, I am going to be loading up on some of my favorite dividend stocks. And that's probably going to be a little bit more BAM. Maybe some more Royal Bank of Canada. Definitely some more Equitable Bank. Maybe some more utility stocks because in those accounts, I just want stocks that pay dividends and will... Like, I want the almost no-brainer stocks that I think are going to continue going up over the next 40 years in those accounts. Now, if I were to just buy in my personal accounts, my non-tax-deferred accounts, then I would definitely do more of what you're doing, Jake, where I would look through all of my about 25 holdings right now, trying to find what I think is the best value risk-reward right now, and then kind of add a little bit around. I would probably do positions, add additions to, you know, one, one to 2,000, maybe add to... What would that be like two, three to five stocks fair enough and yeah random offshoot question from here maybe uh in under a minute you have 25 holdings right i think yeah. a really interesting conversation for investors is how many stocks should you hold you hear everything from charlie munger being like yo just you know uh diversification is a hedge against uncertainty like just hold a couple stocks and you also have people like peter lynch you know they're like oh i hold like hundreds of stocks so where do you lie there Okay, we're going to talk about how many stocks to hold. Um, this a is simpler, a simpler way of wording my question. Yeah, so <laughs> this is a question that comes up a lot. And let me let me collect my thoughts here. It depends on the person. So what works for me in my portfolio will not work for you in your portfolio or anyone watching this video. My risk tolerance and what I am looking for in my portfolios is specific to me so unless yeah so you should do you, do, you have, do you have a number or is it just kind of like what you feel comfortable with and it like stays within a range yeah that you feel you can keep on your head for that, me it's like how many things do i keep on my head yeah that's that's basically me as well so for me i've found that around 20 to 25 stocks like when earnings season comes basically all i do in earnings seasons is just like sit down and read reports and I feel like around 20 to 25 positions, I'm maxed out now where like when earnings season comes, if I had 30 stocks, I'd be like underwater. I would not be able to keep up with everything. So for me, that's uh, that's kind of around where it's been. But also, Charlie Munger has always had three stocks in his portfolio and he believe or three to four, sorry. And he, he believes that if you have like over 10, you know, you're over diversified. And he's <laughs> totally comfortable just having three to four stocks in his portfolio. Then there's Warren Buffett who only holds Berkshire Hathaway and he's only really ever held that one stock, right? So uh, you, well, <laughs> later in life, I just want to be 100% stop and lock, honestly. Uh, <laughs> no, but it, that, that, that's what I mean is it really just depends on you and your risk tolerance and what you're comfortable with. I think if in your portfolio you're starting to get uncomfortable, that's when you're going to start making irrational and emotional driven decisions. So the number one thing is always just be comfortable with your portfolio and make sure that you can sleep at night and it's not causing you stress. As, as soon as your portfolio is causing you stress, that's, in my opinion, that's when it's going to start to get messy. 
Yeah, and I, I do have a really good thing for people in the chat and something I personally like to do, and admittedly, I haven't done this for about a year, and I likely will in January. Go through every stock you own. Stock and law. Go through every stock. Go through every stock you own and ask yourself the following questions. Do you know who the CEO of this company is? Do you know what the company's plans are in the next like three, like one, two, three, maybe even five years out? Like, what are they building? Where will they be? And just simple things like, is this company producing positive free cash flow? Or if you like to think about your stocks and different types of income, is this a dividend stock for me? Or was it, is the dividend safe? Obviously, Stock and Lock makes these things easy to check, but uh, at the very least, go through your brokerage and make sure that you understand. You might find that there's stocks there that you don't know a lot about anymore, and you might be surprised when you look under the hood of the car that you haven't checked for a while that, you know, a few parts might need to be replaced. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do a little bit of a rapid fire, Jake. Yeah, let's, let, oh. let's go. I'll, I'll put myself in the queue there for ZDGE after the rapid fire. Uh, All right. It could be a good conversation. Vic Gill. So, Vic... I see you all the time on my main channel commenting. Thank you for being a subscriber. Your fellow Albertan. Where are you from? Are you from Calgary? Alberta. Alberta, Alberta bud. Ader, bud. Is that too broad? Because someone down in New York, like me, I hear Alberta, and that sounds pretty specific. Is that specific if you live up in Canada? Or is that like saying, yo, I'm from the USA? It's not specific. <laughs> okay. Not very... All right. This Jordan asks about Topicus. So Topicus was spun out from Constellation Software. Full disclosure, I bought some shares. I own a very, very, very small position in this company, and I am probably going to dollar cost average it more over time because it's very small for me right now, like literally just started this position. But I think it is attractive under $70 Canadian. I don't know what that is in the US because I buy the Canadian shares, but under $70 Canadian is where I'm dollar cost averaging it because I think that at that point, it has an over 5% free cash flow yield, and it's growing very nicely, and it should continue to grow over the long term. So I think that's a pretty nice entry point. And Constellation Software subsidiaries and their spinoffs that they're going to be doing basically are going to be run like Constellation Software, which I think is one of the most shareholder-friendly businesses to ever exist on the stock market. So the... the <laughs> yeah, dude, it's... If you ever that's are looking for... A, right there. I'm I'm serious. A lot, no, a lot of stocks out there. Go go read that company's CEO letter to shareholders. Go look at their shares outstanding over the past twenty years because it has increased by zero. Can you drop that in our? If you drop that in our Discord, I'll I'll check it out. Yes, yeah, that's a very good. Even if you're not interested in buying the company, it's a really good case study just to understand like what does a business look like that creates shareholder values and is focused on shareholder value because it's like it's up there with Berkshire Hathaway. Seriously, it's a very good company. So Topicus is a spinoff of that company, and I'm I'm pretty confident that they're going to be going to be strong. Um, Stock Auto, what's up, Stock Auto? Everyone, go check out. Sorry, I thought it was Stock Auto. No, and now I'm conflicted. Stock Auto. I'm so sorry. I've been saying that wrong. (laughs) Okay, Stock Auto. Um, go check out this guy's YouTube channel. I always shout him out in the videos when I can. Have you checked out IBN? I think you will like it. Yes, I own IBN shares. I bought it at the same time as HDB. I think IBN is a very fantastic, another Indian bank. Um, I haven't really talked about it too much on my channel, but when HDB and IBN were in their dips recently, over the past few months, I bought IBN and HDB at the exact same time, um, just to kind of diversify a little bit, you know, in the Indian banking sector. So IBN is a great stock. I think, in my opinion, over the long term, I'm not really worried about that one at all. Definitely another re- good research candidate, and uh, I own it, actually. 
Awesome. You, you mind if I grab a grab one or two? Yeah, go for it. I think uh, I like this rapid fire stuff. Eduardo, hi guys. Hello, nice to see you all. Sorry for missing some of the hellos here. Uh, Rax, uh, see you in the streams every week. Thank you. I am a subscriber of Stock and Lock, and I love the content. Thank you so much. We are having so much fun building this, and we just really appreciate all this feedback. Thank you. There was a great question here, Daniel. Okay, here it is. Which is a better buy now, Microsoft or Apple? Here is my opinion. I have no clue which is a better buy. I own both, and I have been slowly dollar-cost averaging into both. The point I want to make here, which is so fun for me, is their businesses, in my opinion, are very different. I would think of Google as the kind of like ruler of the internet, Gmail, Android, Google Chrome. Uh, now the laptops, obviously they own search, like that's huge. I get that people have been getting a little bit scared about the chat GPT-3 thing, like, oh, are they going to continue to own search? Like, do they have that stranglehold since most of their money comes from ads? I just want to remind everyone, Google owns YouTube. YouTube is literally rocket shipping again with their half and half split to creators. They also are Google Cloud, which is growing incredibly fast, and they are emerging too as one of the main players there. They are not going away and being involved in startups, see them inking deals all over the place. So I'm very bullish on Google personally long-term. That is just my opinion, not financial advice. Microsoft is turning into like a, or has been rather real B2B play. My sister works for a finance company as a software engineer. They just switched from Slack to Teams. She actually said that Teams is not that bad. Bless you, Daniel. <laughs> all that cat hair. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I Microsoft, the amount of free cash flow that company is generating is absolutely insane. They do have a small dividend from what I can gauge from their management as well as where they're going. And even though it's looking being looked into by regulators, ownership of Xbox and like Activision, I am very bullish on them too. I can't say which is better than the other. I wish I knew. So I'm buying I'm buying both personally. What do you think about that, Daniel? Are you talking about Microsoft versus Apple? Oh, sorry. Alphabet. 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 Sorry, I, I read Apple for a second. I've been reading the chat. Um, Dude. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, was like, I would never say good things about Apple. <laughs> like, I know. I, know I was, do you know me? <laughs> that's why at the end of that statement right there, you're like, I've been buying both, and I thought this was about Apple for a second, and I was like, that's not Jake. No, he's not buying Apple. Um, anyways, Microsoft versus Google, or Alphabet. Um, I think on a value basis right now, Alphabet is looking better to me, and I've been adding Alphabet over time, but, you know, Microsoft is probably one of the best businesses in the world. I just think that it's too expensive for me right now, and I'm waiting, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for it to come down more, but, uh, you know. I, I have a, I have a comment there, Daniel. My theory is the reason why there's such a high, and I'm going to pull up some of these ratios in stock and lock right now, the reason why there's such a high premium on it is because... The growth this business is seeing, the amount of deals they're signing with businesses, and the recurring subscription revenue they're getting from all of that. So I think that they will grow into these evaluations, and that's why I felt comfortable buying. But I do agree with you if you look at it from like a price to free cash flow basis. It's not something that gets you like incredibly excited. I, I know you bring up this graph a well, lot. Yeah, it, just go over the, to the past decade, Jake. Go to 2012. You got it. So here's my thing with Microsoft. Okay. If you take a look at their price to free cash flow compounded annual growth rate over the past decade, it's been 12.73%. What that means is Microsoft's share camp or share price has has grown by 12.73% just from the the price ratio expanding over the past decade. Like the stock has grown more than that, 
but 12.73% of the stock price growth has been from the stock becoming more expensive. Now, with that being said, in 2012, I think the stock was undervalued. So where is the fair price for this? I think around around probably 20 to 25 is where I would start buying it. Um, I mean, if you go take a look at the free cash flow growth of Google versus Microsoft over the past decade, I believe Google has been growing faster and it's selling for cheaper. So what is the compounded annual growth rate there? Yeah, so Microsoft's free cash flow has compounded at 8.67% over the past decade. Google has compounded at 18%. So Google historically has been growing much more rapidly and it's selling for cheaper prices right now. So that's why I've been dollar cost averaging Google over Microsoft. I just want Microsoft to be a little bit cheaper because I think that a lot of investors piled into Microsoft as like the safe stock in the market, just like Apple, right? Apple and Microsoft's premiums or their price ratios have expanded so much over the past decade and you have not seen that with google google's uh, price yeah. to free cash flow i mean one one more point google's price to free cash flow rate there has actually declined slightly over the past decade versus versus microsoft's growing at 12 percent annually here's my uh friendly rebuttal there and would love to get people's thoughts in the chat i think the reason why the compound annual growth rate is slightly not slightly a lot better on google is because they started from a smaller number. Yep. I also think that I really enjoy Microsoft's curve here. And like, this is kind of what I'm talking about with their subscription-based revenue from all the B2B sales they're doing and investments there, as well as their cloud, which is all subscription recurring revenue. Google's revenue, I think, gets spiky from user behaviors. Um, and you can see that with like the huge spike here, while the slope of Microsoft's line is pretty steady. So... I can't predict the future. I'm not saying this will happen. Yeah. But again, I think this premium is because of the predictability of the growth, which I think is going to continue to compound on itself until they get broken up for being a monopoly again or something. Like, I, I agree with you. Terrible. I do agree with you. I think that there's a premium. There's definitely in the stock market a premium for consistency and reliability and stability, whatever, whatever word you want to use there. So Google is a little bit more exposed to fluctuations in the overall economy they're they're a slightly more cyclical business whereas microsoft i don't believe really is i think that google over time is going to become less and less cyclical as cloud makes up more of their business and this cloud becomes an actual free cash flow machine because right now it's not and, and youtube people are sleeping on that yeah i know but um like you got to think about this right canadian solar is a great example their net income is all over the place so that stock historically has traded for low price ratios whereas if a company, Fortis is actually a pretty good example. That company has a very steady cash flows. So the market kind of prices that stock at a premium. So there's definitely a premium for stability in, in cash flows. And I think that's why Microsoft is priced higher. And I would agree with you and Rob here on that. Well, uh, let's see what happens in the future. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's um, great. That was a great one. Thank you for whoever put that comment in the chat. We really appreciate it. Do you mind if I do another little rapid fire? We're getting a lot of comments. Oh, dude, you're, you're good. The only thing I had for this stream, and it feels like it's slipping away from me, is we did have a fun chat about ZDGE. But honestly, like, let's, yeah, dude, let's let's keep going. I really enjoy, like, interacting with people here. So, yeah, I, I would prefer that. Yeah, let's, get, let's do it. All right, Eduardo, want to know if you both have speculative positions in a little percentage in your portfolio. So, Jake, do you have any speculation in your portfolio? 
Oh, I have speculation in graveyard crap that is like more than a little percentage. Uh, I'll be open about this. I have a stock in my portfolio right now where I was basically borderline gambling, just like seeing dollar signs. And this is going like back to almost two years ago uh, with Next Green Wave. So that was incredibly speculative. I went up to 15% and I told myself while I was doing that, I, and I was saying it out loud, I'm living, I was like, I'm okay with losing all of this, I was working as a senior software engineer in the city. I'm not trying to flex on you guys, but I was in a position where I could actually make a bet like that and be okay if it went to zero. And that's actually quite literally happening. I have a diamond hands problem where I don't really like to sell stocks. I need to learn a bit from Daniel there. So historically, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like I have a pretty high risk tolerance because I, I really know like what I'm doing with the level of risk and I know how dangerous it is. So every time I do that, I'm ready to lose it. Moving forward, I would like to keep it under 5%. I did say at one point in the stream, I have been looking at Coinbase or maybe even Meta, literally like throw a hundred bucks in and be like, there's an 80% chance I think the stock is going down another 50 or more, but there's a really small chance if, you know, I'll stop there, but you know, there are bull cases for some of those stocks, like a Coinbase to moon in the next like five or 10, but those things I would call like moonshots. Great question. Yeah, for me, I, this is kind of an interesting one because I do try to keep my speculation low, like very low, especially after what happened in 2021 and 2020, like a lot of, you know, the more speculative stocks I bought just went down 80, 90%. Like I don't, I don't, I just don't enjoy that happening. So over the past year, I've really tried to cut down on my speculation and you guys have probably noticed on my main channel that I don't really talk about speculative stocks anymore. Like I really try to focus on cash flow and solid businesses that are growing and have profits um with that said one i would say the most speculative stock that i bought in my portfolio over the past few months was probably magnet forensics that's that cybersecurity company that's up like 150 percent over the past six months it's just gone straight up it's just stupid and um but now stocks only go up. That's what I thought. But over time, like as I've researched that business and followed it over the past, you know, nine to six to nine months, I'm like, is this one really that speculative? Like, I kind of want to buy some more of it because the company is just executing so well now that I'm like, but I want it cheaper. So I don't know. It's weird. Dollar cost um, average, man. It's a uh, take, just take the thought out of it. Okay, I am yeah. seeing some messages here about stock and lock. We really do appreciate all the positive feedback. Um, sorry, Jake, one sec. I get to, whenever someone says something good about stock and lock, I feel like my brain focus just completely, maybe it's ADD. Okay, George, George just says, Dan, what are your thoughts on Adobe after the dip? Did did Adobe dip? Okay, so I bought, I bought Adobe in my portfolio when they did the Figma, or announced the Figma acquisition. The stock fell down to like 280, I think. I believe that my shares were purchased at 283. That's when I bought Adobe. Um, I thought the stock sold off too much. I thought that was an overreaction when it dipped, so that's why I started my position there. I was waiting so long for the stock to dip. It finally happened, so I purchased. And now, I think that they just reported earnings a couple of days ago. I I do plan on doing a video on Adobe's earnings. From what I saw, they're great. Cash flows at an all-time high. I believe that free cash flow grew 13% year over year for the fourth quarter. I think that it's probably around fair value now, though. I believe that the stock is selling for about 22 times cash flow now, which is on the fair value end for me. So I'm not really looking to add to my position anymore unless maybe the stock goes back down to 
just off the top of my head, don't don't hold me to this. I'm just guessing probably like under 320 is where I would start to look to dollar cost average again because right now I kind of feel like it's it's at the right price for me now. Um. Okay, Vic says, are you going to propose in Asia? No. <laughs> I've got this question so much, man. I am not going to propose in Asia. We're just... We're going to give it a little bit more time. The reason is because my girlfriend has some weddings coming up over the next year or so, and we don't want to, like, take attention off of other people. So we're just going to That's wait. an excuse, bro. Oh, That's an excuse. Seriously, we kind of just want to, like, get our life a little bit more solidified, and uh, there's just no rush, man. We're, we're young, right? So we got time. There's no rush. Taking away attention from other people's weddings. I'll be thinking about that one. And that's her sister. She's getting all teasing aside. I her sister's getting married this year. You know, it's like let's just focus on her sister's wedding. Let's let them celebrate, and in the future we'll celebrate. I get Um, that. Okay, family member. Yeah. So I thought you meant like other people are getting married in general. We just don't want to take away their. Yeah, you know, there's like a lot of people getting married right now. Like we're just gonna hold off on love for a minute or whatever. Yeah. Babe, I love you, but there's just too many other people getting mad. I got it. You got to just give me some time. Okay, we got we got Shane here. Thoughts on True Leaf. So, my quick thoughts on True Leaf are the stock fundamentals have declined massively since they acquired Harvest. Kim, the CEO of True Leaf, has said that she thought or she believed the Harvest acquisition would cause the company to produce profitability, more profitability for shareholders over the long term. That has not happened. The stock. I'm just going to share my screen because this is so sad, man. This makes me so sad. I don't like talking about this because of how sad it makes me. Anyways, we're going to talk about it, though. ECNNF. And I guess just to add context for all of the live viewers here, uh, Daniel, also myself, but not as much, are uh, holders of TrueLeave. Daniel has talked about a lot on this channel. Even the CEO has come on. And this is kind of like a follow-up. I think the story, story is a year or two in the making. Yeah, so right here on Stock Unlocked, when I purchased TrueLeaf, it was, I believe I purchased my first shares right around this time. And the companies, we're, we're taking a look at the cash from operating activities right now. So this is the operating cash flow. So we can see that the operating cash flow is growing nicely. And TrueLeaf had the most operating cash flow in the sector. And then right here is when they acquired Harvest. And if you take a look, now their operating cash flow is consistently going down and is in decline. So this company is no longer making money. And in the past, year they've lost 94 million dollars on their operations if you take a look at the free cash flow now they've lost 344 million dollars in free cash flow over the past year that is a little scary to see yeah it's not good and then if you take a look at the balance sheet and take a look at the cash position since the company is not generating any cash anymore the cash position is declining significantly quarter after quarter after quarter and they got about 114 million dollars of cash left now think about this they lost $334 million in free cash flow in the trailing 12 months, right? $344 million. They have $114 million of cash left. That is not a good... The, the math there is not good. Do we right? have the cash run rate on the Insights tab? Yeah, so I was just about to go over here. And if you go to here, it means that they have a cash runway left of four months. So basically, this company needs to get profitable yesterday. And, you know... I always, on my main channel, I always criticize businesses like this where they have negative free cash flow, negative operating cash flow, and their cash position is running out. Truly, unfortunately, has turned into one of these businesses. I hold my shares, but I'm not happy with it. Like, I think this company screwed up, man. I really think they screwed up by acquiring Harvest. And, you know, the thesis kind of changed. It used to be the most profitable cannabis company. That's not the situation anymore. And 
my shares are down like 70, 80% at this point. So it's, it's naturally grown into such a small position in my portfolio because I've been dollar cost averaging other positions over the past year or so. I haven't been adding to TrueLeaf that much at all over the past few months. So TrueLeaf has naturally declined into a small position. And I'm just like, at this point, I'm just going to hold it and see what happens. But if I'm being honest, I'm not that optimistic in this company anymore because their fundamentals are just the numbers. I look at numbers over everything and the numbers are not good. And I want to make that clear. It looks yeah. risky to me now. And uh, speaking for both of us, we obviously love to look at individual companies over the macro and analyze individual businesses. I will take a leap here and talk about the cannabis sector as a whole for a bit. I mean, in general, if you look at all these stocks going back to 2016 in the sector, very choppy. Some of them are even on Reddit, like getting short squeezed. Uh, whenever you see Biden or someone in politics or in the news make a comment of, oh, we're going to pass safe banking or like, oh, like legalization come in 2025, like, please vote for me, please. Um, it is, in my opinion, and this is just pure opinion right now, becoming kind of like a little bad for politicians to kind of throw around to try to like win and like get votes in the United States. It seems more, it's getting just like very politicized. And at the end of the day, when I invest, I like to have a lot of confidence both in the sector and the industry. I am holding some candidate stocks as well. My plan is the same, Daniel. I'm planning on holding those. I am bullish long-term on the sector, just looking at usage trends and growth. It's just kind of a shame that it's hard to invest in right now since there's so much legality, red tape, politicians not following through on promises and stuff, and it's just become a headache. All right. Cool <laughs> pajama pants alert. Shelby in the building. Hello. Good morning. You made snowmen on them. How was, how was your sleep? It was okay. It was okay. Did Tuna bother you? Okay. <laughs> Good morning. I love you. Love you too. I know. I miss you. Okay, bye. Okay, that's a really bad third wheel, you guys. So you don't you don't want to bring me as a third wheel on your date. Not that you were thinking about it. We have brought you as a third wheel in New York. Was I went... actually? You were a great third wheel. You took pictures of us on that rooftop. That was great. Okay, thoughts on? Oh, I've been told not to talk about my girlfriend, so I'm going to stop this right now. Thoughts on Algonquin and Power Utility? Yeah. You, user one two five zero three told me to not talk about this. So, all right, thoughts out on Algonquin Power and Utilities. So I actually made a video on the stock on a lock YouTube channel going over everything about this business. Um, so if you want the full breakdown, I would suggest going and watching that video on stock on a lock. But very quickly, I'll show you why this stock has fallen so much. And sorry, everyone, when I live stream, my internet just slows down massively. So if we go to the financials, so first off, this stock is down a lot year to date. I think it's down over 50%. This is a utility company. And what's interesting is people thought, you know, utility company, this, got, this has got to be a stable business, right? Like this is a low risk business, but now it's down 50%. And how that happened is because this company over the years has taken on so much freaking debt to expand. Like its debt went from 760 million to 12.3 billion over just like the past decade. So while interest rates were low over the past decade, they leveraged up massively. So now that interest rates are rising, what's happening is their interest expenses are, the interest expense you're going down means that the interest expenses are actually increasing. So negative $350 million in interest expenses just in the past quarter. This is the interest that they have to pay on their debt. So while interest rates are rising with their massive debt position, they're got, they got to pay a lot more interest. And what has happened now 
is if we go and take a look at their last quarter, this has caused their operating cash flow to be negative. So in the last quarter, with interest rates rising, they're actually not producing any profits on their operations anymore. This is a problem while the company has, you know, dividends of $100 million a quarter. So how are they paying those dividends if there's no cash coming into the business organically anymore? Daniel, quick question for the slow people in the chat, one of which is myself. Just to be super clear on this company, they sell energy to people. Is that correct? Yeah, they're a renewable energy electricity, yeah, utility company. That makes sense. Uh, I will echo a comment I said in the last stream super quick because I want to get people's thoughts on this. I'm not touching any utility companies. I'm never investing in any energy companies. And the reason why is that is getting literally flipped on its head in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I'm making a futurist prediction right now. The creation of energy storage where that's going, no, we won't, we won't drift from stocks too much. But look at what's happening there. I believe, Daniel, in 10 or 15 years, and we'll see if corporations let this happen, people could start self-producing energy like on their own grid in their house, whether that be solar, like a micro like reactor or something like that. No, I don't know a lot about this. Yes, this is speculation. I'm not an expert, but it's enough for me, Daniel, where it's like, I'm not confident that those companies are going to be here in five, 10 years paying dividends. Like, I don't think that they're going to continue to have the stranglehold that everyone needs energy. You have to get it from these people. Like history changes, people's change. Like this has been happening for a while. Like it's not going to stay like that forever, in my opinion. Um, very hardline thought that like, I just don't hear a lot of people talking about with these stocks. Maybe it's just me, but for someone as long-term as me, like I, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I, it's not something I would want to hold. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, then you should not hold it, in my opinion. So that's very, very wild. <laughs> I would disagree with what you're saying. I think I would just disagree. I think utility companies are not going anywhere, and I love them. I like the good ones. <laughs> not the not the ones that pay unsustainable dividends and like take on lots of debt. And leverage up their balance sheets massively. Like, no. <laughs> the company that I... So it's funny, one of my best performing stocks over the past year has been Capital Power, which is an electric utility company. And I made a video on that stock when I bought it and the video just like flopped. People seem like they don't care about utility companies that pay dividends. And again, that stock is probably one of my best performers over the past year, but Capital Power has such a clean balance sheet. Like if you take a look at that stock versus Algonquin, it's like night and day. So that's kind of why I invested in that one over Algonquin at the time. And I've never invested in Algonquin because of just how much freaking debt that company has racked up. It's insane. Fair enough. Um, a quick rapid fires. Uh, no, we never advise anyone to short. That is your own decision. Your losses could be unlimited. <laughs> Stocks are unpredictable. Uh, Daniel, do you go short? Uh, we've answered this question before. He has once, but it's not something he does often. I think there's one more in here. Oh, yeah. He, uh, someone's asking. We get this question a lot. Um, I know that we don't chop up our clips well or have them searchable. Our really quick answer on this is yes, their financials are beautiful. We have concerns in our own opinion on their actual business itself, uh, a lack of moat. And there are some weird suspicions going around with management. And if they're actually effectively using the money coming in to like grow the business as opposed to just pay themselves out. So just be careful with companies that have beautiful financials. That's a great starting point and made us take a second look into. We did not end up buying. That was just our own opinion. Maybe we're wrong. So that was... We, we get that question a lot on INMD. It has a very high stock and lock insight score. Uh, people yeah. using our screener that we built. So thank you. You can screen 170,000 stocks. Or sorry, stocks and ETFs is probably like 150,000. My bad. In our screener, sort by insight score, look at their market cap, a ton of other filters. If we don't have a filter and you want it, let us know. Jake. Yeah. What's up? I, I have a yeah, comment. Advertise me again. 
no, I have a comment here. <laughs> okay. And uh, I want your opinion on this, but I, I'm going to challenge you to keep it under a minute, okay? Challenge accepted. All right. Why don't you like Apple? Challenge declined. <laughs> Can't explain it in a minute. Okay. I, okay, well, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it really quick. It'll be way less than a minute because I, my real answer for this is super long. Great company, beautifully designed products, beautiful marketing. I am a technologist. I've been coding for over 10 years. I can't customize that. I think that they are predatory to their consumers. I don't think that their product is that good. I don't like AirPods. I think they prey on their consumers. This company legitimately made software engineers write code to degrade devices to kill their batteries. And these consumers keep buying it. Rant over, I'm triggered. And no, I can't keep it under a minute. This is really hard. I <laughs> cannot support anything Apple ever does, but I will never argue against the fact that they have grown a beautiful business that has beautiful financials. And based on what consumers are saying they want, which I disagree with as a consumer, you guys don't make any sense. It's working. There you go. You know what I'm happy about is I'm very bullish on India. And if you take a look at the uh, smartphone penetration in India, I think Apple's at like under 5% and Google is like, 90 per android devices are at like 90 percent. so i'm like india please keep this up <laughs> it's to me it's like it's the same people where you can buy a designer handbag and you could pay 500 dollars for it and then like feel good when other like humans like roaming the earth like look at your bag and they're like yeah like i love your status symbol you must be so rich or you could just get a regular bag that works the exact same way and realize people's thoughts or opinions about you are all fake and they don't matter and you can save some money and invest the rest in stocks and maybe buy a right. bit instead. all right go ahead yeah, rant over. You got it. There's Jake's opinion on Apple. He does not like the company. Um, we got a question here. Is EQB still a good buy now? Well, I, I can't give anyone any financial advice. And, you know, you got to do your own research and everything. But personally, I am still happy dollar cost averaging at this price. And that's just my opinion. So, yeah, there, there you go. There you go. I just want to say I have a lot of respect for that. My girlfriend and all my friends own Apple products. I love people who love Apple. Let's be clear. I don't cross lines that much. <laughs> All right. Um, does anyone of you own a Tesla? Jake, do you own any Tesla? No. Me either. I would like to own Tesla, but I, I I did a video on my channel recently and I said that I would like to buy Tesla around $100 a share. I don't know if it's going to get down there. I'm not making a prediction. That's just like where I think it starts to look attractive on a value basis. My issue with Tesla and a lot of people raise their eyebrows when I say this, I like to avoid stocks with a single point of failure. What would happen if Elon Musk got abducted by alien next? I actually think that Tesla's at a point now where um you think that they would self-sustain without Elon? I think I think they're pretty self-sustainable. Like if you go watch my video that I did on Tesla, fundamentally that business is insane. They're just generating so much cash flow and they're using their cash flow to to essentially delete all of their debt, which I think is absolutely fantastic. They got such a clean balance sheet. They got so much cash flow coming in. I think that this, the company is just in such a strong position now that like they would have to try to screw it up at this point. I, I think that that's fair. To me, it's more of like a dial pulling question of sure, I agree the company will sustain and be a viable business. But like the way it's priced right now is that like Elon Musk is going to be driving Teslas around on like Uranus. Yeah, what I what I did not like about Tesla, for example, is they would do a new product reveal of like, you know, I don't know what it's called because I don't follow the company very much. But they did a product reveal of their robots that they were going to build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they dropped that product, I believe that the stock ran like 20%. So you got to think about this. If the stock runs 20% on a future product drop, to me, that's like, okay, the stock just priced in the, that, that product already. So all the upside is already there. You just got it. 
I also just love avoiding stocks that everyone's talking about. Like there's nothing I can learn about Tesla that all the research firms and like all the millions of people who are like Elon Tesla fanatics haven't found out. I, and just based on how volatile it's been, I don't think I'd be able to sleep well having a be a big position, but bring up yeah. their insights here. You're right. Like their fundamentals are beautiful. One Dude, it's a beautiful market. company. Like if you, if you're yeah. talking about just fundamentals, let's take valuation out of the conversation here. It is honestly a beautiful company. There is not a lot of companies that have, I don't know exactly how much, they got tens of billions of dollars in revenue and screwing like 50% year over year. Like it is insane. It is a beautiful fundamental company. It's just the price for me is like, I just cannot get behind it. I need it to come down more for me. And just to clarify, cause I think a lot of people, I'm not saying this to you directly, Daniel, but maybe, uh, I think a lot of people do miss this when they do their like quote product launches. I don't actually think, I know they're branded as product launches, but those are recruiting events, in my opinion. I, I, don't believe, no opinion. I have no opinion there. Yeah, I think that is like a very smart move on Elon's part where the reason why they're building so much is at the end of the day, companies are just humans moving around and them like making things work and working. And, you know, he hires great people. And part of the way that you attract that talent is saying, hey, you know, you can go work for some quant firm uh, with your MIT math degree and you know, get an extra like 0.01% on some like currency arbitrage opportunity in a hedge fund, or you could go work with Elon Musk and build robots. Like there's a lot of people, me included, where it's not even a contest if you look at those things. So just kind of saying that as like a talking point yeah. where people hang on those a little bit too much and Elon purposefully, I think, over promises and under delivers knowing that like he's done that many times in the past and it's always fine. So I just like be a little careful there. Yeah, so we got a comment this one, I believe, is in regards to TrueLeaf, and someone was asking um, if the economic macro has affected this company, and I would say yes, because if we take a look at the company's balance sheet right here, so when they acquired Harvest, Harvest was a debt-ridden company. I mean, take a look at this. This is when they acquired Harvest, so their debt went from $453 million to about $1.3 billion, right? So while interest rates are rising, same thing as we just said with AQN, if interest rates are rising, then that debt becomes more expensive. And if we take a look at the company's net interest expense, we can see that it continues going, it, it essentially continues going up. And now in the most, in the, in the past year, they've paid $67 million on interest on their debt. And again, this is not a good thing when the company is producing no cash flow. So, you know, it's, yeah, macro yeah. has definitely affected this company. We got another question here from G-Man, um, truly versus Green Thumb. And then is Green Thumb still your favorite? Yeah, Green Thumb is my favorite cannabis stock now. And the the answer there is um, pretty simple as to why. So let's go and take a look at the stock. And if we take a look at its financials, it has cash flow. And that's really all there is to it. This is the only cannabis company in the entire sector now that is producing operating cash flow still. And it's, you know, over the long term, I believe it's still going to grow. But this is the only company that is able to produce organic cash flows. And in this macro environment, you know, I think that's incredibly important. I value that over everything. So for me, yeah, Green Thumb is my favorite now because I think it's the less, it's the most fundamentally sound cannabis company that has the least amount of risk, in my opinion. Gonna do a few quick rapid fire ones. Uh, I can't pronounce this name. Uh, I don't know how to read that. I'm sorry, but Apple is going to the sky. <laughs> I, I love these. TTCF is going to the garbage. I love the creativity. Yeah. Let's see if we could come up with any more metaphors here. Oh my gosh, here's a Cybertruck will be driving to the moon. Let's go. Um, We have... I saw lemonade actually here, Daniel. I, I I saw matter right here. I am personally 
going to selfishly take this one because I genuinely want to take a look at matter. So I used to be a real estate <laughs> photographer, right? I used to be a real estate photographer and I actually used to use Matterport in my uh, business. Daniel, super rude introduction. Uh, Stock Unlock is $6.99 per month or $74.99 per year. Thank you for the question, but free 14-day trial, no credit card. So you can try the entire site literally with just an email. We never ask you for payment unless if you actually like this. Back to you, Daniel. Thank you, Jake. <laughs> All right. Profitability on Matter is not good. <laughs> Growth, not really good. So what we do here on Stock Unlock, like we show you that the revenue is growing, right? That's good. The revenue is growing, but gross profit declining, operating income declining, net income declining, operating cash flow declining, free cash flow declining, book value increase though. So book value increased while the company's not profitable. So what I imagine happened, they diluted, yep, right here. Their shares increased by 46% over the past year. And this is what happens when you have companies that are not profitable. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they dilute because if they're not profitable, if they're not generating money organically, internally within the business, then how are they staying in business? The money comes from somewhere else. Charlie Munger calls those OPM companies, other people's money. They rely on other people's money. So Matterport, just like taking a quick 30 second look, I wouldn't own it. I think it's, I think it's, you know, very risky in this environment, especially when money's becoming expensive. What do you, uh, what do you think about taking this one quick? I also do want to say, I see we were at a little over 55 minutes, Daniel. We do have a hard stop at an hour. So we're going to go for about maybe five, maybe flex it to 10 minutes, but Daniel is heading into the mountains this weekend, which should be fun. So we'll send him off with a good stock salute at the end. Yeah, I, you know what? I'll text Shelby right now. Yeah. You. <laughs> at the end of the last stream, uh, we did have, I don't know if, if that was like a polite, hey, Daniel, why are you still streaming? Let's go. So, no, no, no. She doesn't care. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, she did like, she doesn't care. Um, I told my parents, I'm at my parents' house now and I gave, I talked to them so sternly. I was like, please. Don't come downstairs and like start talking to me. I am streaming to people, mom and dad. I love you guys. Also, no, I do not live at my parents' house. I'm just here for holiday stuff. Okay, we're taking a look at Lemonade now. So Insight score 2.36 out of 5. That's not the best. So Lemonade has grown its revenue at 94%. That's strong growth. Yep, strong growth. However, it's seen diluted average shares outstanding increased by 8.6%, which suggests that the company is diluting shareholders. Dev so I've actually, Daniel, I've actually partied with people that work at this company because they used to work on the same floor as the building that I used to work on. This company was a COVID darling. Um, but yeah, so the thing I wanted to say about this before we jumped in is be really careful for companies that brand themselves as technology companies if they're not a technology company. I think a big reason the stock flew is because people thought it was like the Tesla of, uh, I think it was not car insurance, uh, renter's insurance, I think. And I was telling everyone and all my coworkers, I'm like, don't buy this stock. Like the dude, the market cap of this company compared to its fundamentals, if you want to look at that back at that peak was disgusting. And I think most people could have looked at that with stock and lock. I and mean, like, this is like, you shouldn't be a multi-billion dollar company if you have $50 million in rent. That's like not profit. That was a very rude interruption, but I did want to get that off my chest because I have been wanting to talk about the stock for a while. And it's a stock that really frustrated me when I was trying to get people into trading and they're like, oh, just go buy lemonade. I'm like, read the financials <laughs> like before you invest in this stock. Anyways, back to you. Thank you for letting me rudely interrupt you there. Yeah. So the only, the only good thing that I can see about this company really is its revenues are growing and it's, it's an insurance business. Like it's insurance business top line is growing, but it's diluting its shareholders quite significantly to do that. And it's generating absolutely no profits. Like the net income is going down over time. 
So it seems like they're spending money faster than they can grow to the top line, which I do not like. Um, just out of curiosity, like what are insiders doing? Insiders are consistently selling, it looks like. Not, not like huge sells, I guess, but... Yeah, those are all the way back in 2021 also, so... Yeah, I think that this is just a speculative stock. We've looked at this stock before. I think it's speculative because, like, there's just no profits. And whenever there's no profits, especially right now, I'm, like, speculative. So I don't think this company has a moat either. Just, like, from a coding standpoint, I don't think that the product that they've built is impossible to build. And I, I have to double-check this, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of competitors coming to market. You know, companies that went through Y Combinator and stuff where it's like, oh, look, like, we're the blah, blah, blah of lemonade, like cheaper, better service. And like, if there's not that much barrier of an entry to make a tech product like that, can you build a defensible, like huge multi-billion dollar public business around it? Maybe, but going to be hard. Okay. We got a comment here. Thoughts on EQB, Tesla, and CrowdStrike. So I think we've already talked about EQB, Tesla. So CrowdStrike. Um, if you guys don't know, we do a weekly newsletter at Stock Unlock. If you guys want the free weekly newsletter, again, totally free. I write it personally. Um, go over to Stock Unlock, enter in your email in our join our newsletter section right there, and you will get my weekly newsletters. Um, just again, totally free. We're gonna drop the link in the chat for everyone right now. Yeah. So I've written, and the reason I'm saying that is because I've written about CrowdStrike when they release their earnings. I think CrowdStrike is a business that's you know growing incredibly well, um, but a little bit too expensive for me personally. I would like it cheaper, and that's basically my opinion <laughs> i mean they're growing revenue cash flows every metric at like 50 percent year over year even in this macro environment we're in but like man that price was expensive so you know you you i just think you there's you shouldn't pay infinite price for a good business there's there is a limit that you should pay and it's not at my limit yet so i'm not i'm not buying crowdstrike just yet but it is it's an interesting company that looks pretty solid Awesome. Uh, I did just see the time, Daniel. Where where are we at? We hit an hour. Yeah, I'm good. We can plan. I'm I'm good. I'm good to keep going. All right. Uh, me too. All right. We got this question. I believe that this was asked in our. No, we got emailed this question as well. Q L Y S. You touched on it brief briefly in a previous video. Could be reaching value territory very soon. Thoughts and analysis. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. My bad. Okay, let me go see QLYS. I believe that we have talked about this one before. Hey, Jake. Yeah. I'm laughing because my it looks like all my parents are awake and my dad's like walking outside the door looking in. Be like, can I come in? And I'm like, it's all great. <laughs> okay, so this company right away has a nice inside score 4.01 out of 5. That's good. Um, let's compare the stock to the SPY over the past decade. The stock is up 800% versus the SPY. Even over over the past year, it's not really performed. Over the past five years. So this stock is consistently outperforming the SPY. But it looks like it's a technology company. So what do they do? I actually don't remember. Engl engages in the provisions of cloud security and compliance solutions. So they're a cloud company, it looks like. I would want to do a little bit more research into like exactly what this company does. I, I think I can fill in a little bit here. Just just from that description, I am making a light assumption. There's a huge tech industry right now where, Daniel, even for Stop and Lock, like we use Amazon Web Services to host our tech for very, very large companies that do big, big shipments to AWS. There are business to business companies you can contract with to make sure that you have high security, that you're compliant, 
you need to start thinking about like health insurance companies that like have to comply to HIPAA and other things. So there's a lot of money to be made since a lot of the companies building these systems don't have the technical expertise to run them. So techies like me and other people are building these firms to do that work for these big companies. So my okay. one big question with these, Daniel, for us to continue to look into is moats and stuff as well as differentiation of product. It's always been hard for me to compare different cybersecurity companies, even as an engineer to each other. It's just really hard to like see who has the edge in my opinion. That's one issue I've had trying to find the right stock in this space. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, this says Qualys, I believe I'm pronouncing, I, I have no idea. Qualys. Qualys has grown revenue at 18.3% and has more cash than current liabilities, meaning it has enough cash to handle all of its debts within the next year. That's nice. Financial health score 4.20. Current ratio is average. Debt-free. Very nice. Shares are decreasing, so the company's buying back shares and again has more cash than current liabilities, so it's not really in financial stress at all. Revenue's grown, gross profits grown, operating income's growing nicely, operating cash flow decreased though, and free cash flow grew by 3%. 80% gross margin, that is very good. So free, ca free cash flow margin of nearly 40%, also very good. Returns ROIC is nice. Company looks honestly pretty freaking decent, man. Let's check out the financials a little bit more. Revenue, whoa. What's that percent change on that if we... It's growing revenue at like five, four to five percent a quarter. It looks like, and revenue growth is actually increasing recently. If you see right here, since the third quarter of 2020, revenue growth has actually started going up. That's nice to see, man. It's a pretty pretty graph. Are they are they turning? I mean, I know they're turning into gross profit because you said they had 80 percent. <clears throat> yeah. What I'm noticing here though is the revenue is going up, but their operating cash flow is not going up, which means that their operating cash flow margin is starting to decline right here, which you can see. I would want to know why this is. <clears throat> so if I were going to take a look deeper into this business, I would want to know why is their operating cash flow margin going down? What's going on there? And I'd say the actionable step there, go to this company's investor relations page, like literally Google Qualys investor relations, look at their latest earnings slides and they put out their presentations to shareholders that will tell you what they're looking to build and maybe explain, you know, they could be investing this money. You might like what they're doing with that and then see more skin on the bone for the stock or maybe yeah. Okay, we got some recent insider sells. Take that as you will. Looks like insiders have been selling pretty consistently. Um, 4.3 billion free cash flow yield of 4%. Not bad at all. Wow. Priced free cash flow of 24. Honestly, like, <clears throat> yeah, I kind of agree. It looks like it's getting down into a place where if I understood this business more, you know what? It's already on my watch list interesting stocks and screener finds okay yeah this is definitely an interesting stock is also not that expensive in my opinion if it can continue growing at you know 18 percent a year um i would want to know why its margins are going down i want to know why its cash flow margins and cash flows are not growing with revenue that is a question i would need answered but on a free cash flow basis i don't think it's really not that expensive if it can continue growing as it has historically so definitely an interesting stock i'd agree yeah, I kind of want to spend a couple hours this week seeing if I could get a little more expert level at analyzing these companies, like look at Qualys, look at a few of their competitors, go into their investor relations site and just try to come here with a little bit more value for you guys. Because again, what we're saying is fundamentally sound, but you need to do more research than that Yep. before you buy stuff. So looks good.
let us know what you find. Maybe come back next week. We're all doing research together. Got the stop and lock Discord too. We'll always be answering you guys there if you come in, like drop your DD. So, yeah, I mean, I would yeah. definitely, I would definitely like to get to that. <laughs> I got to start doing a little bit more. Okay, <clears throat> another comment from Gabe. HPQ has been selling off like crazy lately. Buffett owns it as well. Thoughts? Um, so I think we talked about HPQ before. I'll share my screen again. I actually did a video on why I thought Warren Buffett was buying HPQ. So if we head over to HPQ, I was also just taking a look at Skyworks really quick. I was a side comment, Gabe, your photo that you have here on YouTube mm -hmm. is very nice. I say that is one of the fanciest photos I've seen. I'm looking very nice in that suit. Okay, so HPQ is down. It's in a 30% dip from its all-time highs. Price to free cash flow is only seven. Um, actually, I really want to, I just really quickly want to take a look. Wrong metric. I want to take a look at revenue really quick. Oh, this is the HP. Oh, I know HP. Yeah, this is HP. So their revenue, this company, in my opinion, is not a growth company. I think that, yeah, they're operating. Mm -hmm. This is reminding me of like IBM, like IBM vibes, just like some of those like skeleton tech companies that are just trucking along. But like you said, not really making a splash. The people that are going to work there, I don't think are the most exciting. Yeah. So innovative people. I think Warren Buffett has bought this stock not for a growth investment, but he bought this stock because of this right here. It's got a free cash flow yield of 14%. Now, what that means is this company could use all of its organic free cash flow today and buy back 14% of its stock annually or pay a 14% dividend if it wanted to. Like this company right now could pay a 14% dividend organically if it wanted to. And that is an insane dividend. So I... I think Warren Buffett's buying the stock because it doesn't really need to grow to offer an over 10% return to shareholders. It's already offering that. Basically, then the question becomes, can it continue producing this much free cash flow in the future and returning it back to shareholders? So I think Warren Buffett's buying the stock because he thinks, yes, I don't think he thinks the stock is going anywhere. I think he probably thinks its fundamentals are going to stay the same, but not really grow that much. And it's just going to spit out 14% for shareholders over the long term. Now, also, this company pays about a 4% dividend right now, but it buys back a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of shares. Uh oh, Like a decade ago, this company had about 2 billion shares outstanding. It's less than half of that now at 980 million. So over the past decade, it's literally cut its share count in half, which means it's returned 50% to shareholders just through buying back shares. And over the past five years, it's gone down about 60%. Like on a compounded annual basis, it's bought back 10% of its shares annually. Dude. So it, it is returning that cash back to shareholders. And I actually think that it's increasing. Like if we go back to the past two years, it's bought back 17% of its shares on an annual basis over the past two years. That's on top of paying out. It's, uh... That's actually incredible. I was pretty unexcited yeah. about just stock the entire chat until we just saw the share count going down. I just don't see this business like innovating or growing, as yep. you said. I also am very unsure if they will even sustain, but that is just being very presumptuous. I'd need to look more into their business. But yeah, you oh, wow, those see. share buybacks though, like that's a lot of shareholder value that has been given back. Yeah, and I know. Did you see that in the stock price then? Like, yeah, you... um, okay. one sec. So that's what I mean though, is since they're yielding 13% free cash flow right now, they're giving all of that back to shareholders. And I think that, you know, a lot of people don't consider the buybacks when they initially take a look at the stock. Like you see a 4% dividend yield right now. You're like, sweet. 
but when you look when you look at how much cash it's actually returning back to shareholders it is insane so well, check this out like five dollars up to i don't know what that run was but that was like a multi-x bagger there back from like 2015 when we saw they started like buying the stocks back at 10 percent cagr up to 17. yeah so since like 2012 this stock has been running quite a bit but that's why I think Warren Buffett is buying this stock is just like it generates so much free cash flow and it's giving all of that back to its shareholders. And it's probably going to continue doing that in the future. I kind of, I want to go look at like the products they're making now and the contracts they have with existing businesses. Like if this company is actually innovating and hiring, this could be a really interesting play. Yeah. Like I wonder if any of those companies will make a comeback, right? Like people keep saying, is IBM ever going to make a comeback? Well, that maybe yeah like, i, I took maybe a few, you'll get rich if you buy the stock but it's a long shot i took a look into hpq when warren buffett bought it and it looks like their asia business is growing but their north american business is declining so it's kind of like one area of the business is going up one area is going down which is kind of just like net flat um but yeah that's kind of my thoughts on hpq now vj hello vj asks Asking this again, what is your view on covered called ETFs? So for some reason, I don't understand options at all. I've looked into them before. I don't get it. I don't really want to understand options. I kind of want to stay ignorant to them. So covered call ETFs, I I, I have no opinion. I, I don't own any. I would never own any. And yeah, Jake, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, I would say I, I'm a maybe marginally above where you are at with my understanding of options. I don't actively trade options i'm i am a very much a long-term investor i like to buy and hold shares that's what i like to do i think covered calls are actually like pretty interesting or covered puts like basically you have i think it needs to be like 100 shares like you put that up and you get paid like a premium for kind of putting them up and it's one of those weird things where you can get money from your shares with almost no real like no real risk but like you are putting up shares to sell so maybe you didn't actually want to sell them if it hits some price and then they sell because they hit that price but you really just wanted it because like people do that strategy where they're like, this price is so ridiculous. I don't think it will come here, but sure for all you option people, like I'll pay you like that percentage on your shares. So there is actually really cool stuff you could do there at one point. Maybe future Jake will look into that when I have more time, not coding stock unlock so much. Yeah. So, my... but I would stay away from those ETFs personally, not financial advice, but those are like, it's just financial engineering, right? Like why not just understand how companies work and invest in stocks? Like, yeah, I, I, I just don't get it. So again, I don't know, I know next to nothing about options. So this whole comment I'm going to do may just be not even worth saying. I'm going to say it anyways. What, what an intro. From, <laughs> so in Peter Lynch's book, One Up on Wall Street, he talks about options and he says that as an investor, time is your best friend. And I believe that with options, you're basically saying, I am making a bet that the stock will be at X price by X date, which means that you're limiting your time. So basically peter lynch's thinking is when you use options you're taking away time as your best friend and that's kind of i don't know if that's true but that's always kind of been my thing too is like as a long-term investor i want time to be leveraged as much as possible so yeah fair enough it's all perspective you'll have someone else say the opposite where they're like i love short term but yeah what type of investor are you and i can tell you what kind of investor i am i am one that would not buy a tattooed ship <laughs> Oh, we got a Nikola Tesla. We got another comment here. Tattoo Chef isn't even a buy at 69 cents. So this is a very interesting comment because one, I agree. But also I was thinking about this deep one time and I was like, what would I actually pay for Tattoo Chef? Because, you know, people may think 
well, should I buy the stock at book value? Like if the stock is trading under book value, as it currently is, book value of 0 .0 0.8, 0.8 selling under book value, does that mean it's a buy? Because you're buying the stock under its net asset value. I came to the conclusion on my, this is just my opinion, that the answer is no, it's not worth book value. And here's why. So if this stock is losing so much freaking money, right? Then what does that mean? Well, it means that the, the company's book value is going to decline over time. So if you're buying the stock at book value today, in a few quarters, if the book value continues going down, then you're actually not buying the stock at book value. As you can see right here, the book value has gone from 287 million all the way down to 141. So if you were buying, you know, Tattooed Chef at book value back here at $234 million market cap, then that's your book value on cost. Today, the stock is $141 million in book value. So if you're buying it here, you know, not good because the book value has gone down. So now you actually bought the stock at like two times book value. I've got, I've got a Peter Lynch comment here, Daniel. All right, I'm going to quote him. People ask Peter Lynch all the time, hey, how much money could I lose? All of it. All the bottom's are only zero. I would like... We need this reminder, lots of reminders. We need the non-financial advice hoodies, maybe like the bottom's always zero. Dude, maybe not everyone's been here since the start of the stream, but kind of want to go back to that swag shop and add another like 100 different items. Yeah, no. Sorry, I've taken over the swag shop. You officially are not allowed to touch it. <laughs> if anyone missed that, the very quick 15-second recap, I went to go create a swag shop and had a very fun argument with the co-founders that resulted in me realizing I should never ever be in charge of creating a swag shop and I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. When it comes to swag. But anyway, if you want stock and lock leggings, send me a DM and uh, put them in the store for you. All right. Next, next comment here from Eamon. Hello, Daniel. I watched your recent video on BAM. What do you think about selling Fortis and switching to BAM? Are you still DCA since it has been dropping 4% per day? Yeah. So I started out the live stream talking about BAM. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm buying more BAM. And what's funny is in my TFSA, cause I've wanted more BAM, I did sell my Fortis or I trimmed down my Fortis shares to, to buy more BAM simply because one Fortis has been running like crazy over the past month. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to trim this one down a little bit. <clears throat> and BAM's dividend yield now is higher than Fortis. And the dividend is projected to grow at a faster rate than Fortis. So I was like, if I'm using my TFSA basically as a dividend income tax-free account, then I can get more dividend income from BAM today and more future dividend income from BAM than Fortis based on its projections today. So like, yeah, I, I definitely trimmed down some Fortis to buy some more BAM. So that's actually a very interesting thought you had. Not saying you should do this, not financial advice. I did it. And that, that was my reasoning why. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Um, Thoughts on Amazon, Jake? Oh, we did not talk about Amazon. Uh, I am seeing some stocks here. People are asking us to talk about Tesla, Microsoft, Google. We do hit a lot of these, so all of these are recorded. I know that they are a lot of time, but you know, go to our, our YouTube page. We're also putting out short content now, cutting these up. So we'll do our best to try to link you guys those. But anyways, thoughts on Amazon. I'm a shareholder of Amazon, but I want to be clear. Also with Google too, I didn't start buying these stocks, Daniel, until they went under a hundred bucks. Like I've been wanting to buy these stocks for over two years and I have been sitting on my hands being like, I will wait, gosh darn it, because these stock prices are too damn high. Um, the reason why I like Amazon is they own e-commerce. Uh, they're starting to go into physical stores. Their physical store locations are awesome. 
Stock Unlocked, the company that we are building. We are actually customers of Amazon because we use Amazon Web Services. Uh, I know some people say I repeat this too much, but just for credibility purposes, I have a 10-year background in software engineering. I can say AWS is a leader there right now. Yes, there will be other players, but they're not going away anywhere. Or, sorry, they're not going anywhere. Another point on cloud-based businesses is people need to realize how subscription-dense they are. Like when you write code software around like their ecosystem, it is an immense amount of effort to move away from that. It is incredibly sticky. Amazon Prime is going to play. People sleep on Twitch too. Twitch is a streaming platform that I think harbors community way better than YouTube. And I won't say it's going to be a trillion dollar company, but there's just so many pieces of Amazon's business and every part of it I like. I think fundamentally they're big. I don't see them going anywhere. If anything, Daniel, I see them being a monopoly in maybe like 10 years and from my research on monopolies, like that's actually usually good for shareholders. Like they split the stock up into lots of little pieces, but I digress. That was a little bit of a moon shoot at the end there. Those are my brief thoughts. And yeah, let's say you're bringing up the financials. I, I like Amazon. I really like Amazon at this price. So what I have noticed, <clears throat> I've talked about this on my channel before, by the way, but what I have noticed is that the market follows Amazon's operating cash flow. For example, if we take a look at Amazon's price to free cash flow or to price to earnings right here, there is like no conclusions that you can draw from this chart. I mean, when Amazon's price to earnings has been anywhere from a thousand literally to zero, free price to free cash flow has been anywhere from 600 to literally zero today. So I've, I've heard people talk about, you know, Amazon's price to earnings right now is 76. So isn't that still an expensive stock? If you've been reading our newsletters, I explain why earnings is probably not the best metric to use on Amazon. And what I've noticed is if we take a look at Amazon's price to operating cash flow again, this chart right here is so much more consistent. And consistency basically is what I look for when I'm trying to value a company. So what I think is the market has valued Amazon based on its operating cash flow based on this chart right here. So right here, we can see that back in 2011, Amazon's operating cash flow, price operating cash flow, got down to 21. In 2015, got down to 20. In 2016, got down to 20. Um, right here in 2019, it got down to 23. In 2021, it got down to 22. So basically what I notice on Amazon's price to operating cash flow chart is whenever it gets down to about 20, that's where the market is like, okay, we're going like, to buy Amazon. We're not letting it get below a 20 price to operating cash flow. At least over the past decade, that's how it's traded. So right now, Amazon's price to operating cash flow is about 22.7, or it's about 10% above where the market has allowed it to get over the past decade on the cheapest it's ever been over the past decade, sorry, not the cheapest it's ever been. But now additionally, why I think that Amazon is cheap right now is because if we go to the company's operating cash flow right here, it's currently in this massive dip. So Amazon's peak operating cash flow is $67 billion. Then it got all the way down to 35.6 billion. Now it's finally uptrending again. And this is because the company said that they're focusing back on efficiency. They're focusing back on getting their cash flows up because they've just been spending so much money over the past few years. So I think the operating cash flow over the long term is going to far exceed this peak right here. So when it does, I mean, can we bring up the CapEx in the, that graph too? I'm curious if the CapEx went up and then started going back down as the operating cash flow changed. Yeah. Um, CapEx is leveling off right now, but yeah. Okay. So they produced 
what was that? $67 billion in operating cash flow, right? So I think Amazon is going to get back there. I think they're going to beat that in the future. So let's go $896 billion market cap today divided by $67 billion in operating cash flow. So if Amazon can get its operating cash flows back up to where they were previously, not even, not even beat that, just get back to where it was previously, then it means that the stock is trading for a price to operating cash flow right now of about 13.4, which is far below how the market has priced the stock historically. So I think that it's cheap. That's my reasoning why, because I'm confident they're going to get their operating cash flow back and beat it in the future. And when they do, it looks cheap. I think it's cheap. And the amount of different cash machines this business has is incredible. They're also starting to make a lot of money on ads too. Like people are sleeping on their ads business, like ads, ads revenue up, like prime membership up, you know, Twitch, even these smaller platforms like usage up, Amazon web services growth up. I don't care, Daniel, what the street price is a stock at, because I know that if companies keep on making and producing more and more money, you know, the stock's going to do what the stocks do. They will track that over the long term. That's what we've seen decade over decade. You can't predict it in the short term years. And I do see someone here. Um, I started investing in 2020. I'm still down 30%. So sorry about that. But it's you are learning. Um, we are having a little bit as well. You know, you're not alone. So yeah, there are some opportunities starting to come up out there. Maybe a I know a friend, I have a friend who's invested in DraftKings and I tried to tell him to stay away from it. But like, this is someone who maybe he's watching. He's a firefighter, actually. And you know, when they say like, if the mailman tells you to buy a stock, it's like time to sell your stocks. Like I had my friend who was a fireman starting to become like a stock person. I was like, oh, DraftKings, so great. It's going to the moon. And he was saying that like right up there on that peak. I'm just like, dude, like you should use the company we're building and just look at their financials. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but. You couldn't tell me how much revenue or free cash flow they made. Like you're just think DraftKings is cool. Yeah. So they are losing a lot of money. They've lost $736 million in the past year. Um, they got 32 months of cash runway left. So they, they have a, a significant amount of cash on the balance sheet, but they're burning through it. And they've increased shares by 11% over the past year. Profitability is just not there. They got a, a 32% gross margin. Okay. Negative 88%. Operating margin, net margin, negative 80%. Free cash flow margin, negative 40%. And again, they've lost hundreds of millions of dollars. But hey, their revenue's growing. I have a question for you, Daniel. With certain stocks, so I think a more extreme example is like a tobacco company. You'll have people that just don't buy a stock because they have a moral disagreement. I think gambling, it's legal. My own opinion on it is I'm hit or miss. I, If people want to gamble, cool. I have not looked at this stock, even if it was great, because I think gambling is predatory on populations of people that shouldn't really be gambling. I have a lot of rants that I'll hold back about like New York state lottery and like all these other lottery ticket schemes that the government runs. It's like very frustrating to me. So on that alone, for me, like I have a little bit of a moral disagreement with just like supporting a gambling company. Again, I'll be your friend and like, I don't care if you own it, but just like a weird angle on this one where I have heard that, you know, gambling companies as well as the more obvious one, tobacco. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got their own morals, right? Yeah. I we were talking about cannabis stocks before too. So, right. It's like, you know, we're not completely politically correct here either. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I don't, I don't judge what everyone, sorry. I don't judge what anyone else holds. It's, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we're all here investing to make money. 
even with Airbnb, like when I was running through in episode nine, the Airbnb thesis, I was like, hey, like people should be aware that this company does business in China. Like they support China and have like not really said the best things about USA 100% of the time. Like I think some people that's a blocker for them. For me, I was like, I got like, you know, I, I kind of look more at like the dollars and view things as pawn pieces sometimes, take it or leave it. But hey, as long as people reserve judgments on others, but you know, keeping it to stocks. What, what do we got here from G-Man? See you every week, G-Man, by the way. A lot of experts say avoid the popular trendy stocks, agree or disagree. I don't like to apply a blank statement to everything. I would say it's probably a good practice, but always avoid the popular trendy stocks. I would avoid saying. But typically when a stock is popular, you're, you're paying a premium for popularity. Tesla is an absolutely perfect example of this, right? There was a significant premium on the stock because of how popular Elon Musk was, how popular and exciting Tesla was. Now Elon is not that popular anymore. And that popularity premium is starting to come down. So basically what I'm trying to say is I think that Tesla's valuation historically has relied on the popularity of both Elon and Tesla, which is how are you going to predict how popular a company is going to be in five years or even in the next 12 months? So paying a premium for popularity, in my opinion, is like totally speculating. And um, I, I, I do not like paying a premium just because a stock is exciting. Fair enough. Jake, you want to answer this one? I already did. That's when I like rudely interrupted you the other time. But yeah, ah, stockandlock.com, uh, $6.99 a month, uh, $74.99 per year. But it's completely free to try. And like we're not predatory people. We're building this company. It's like just an email. We don't take a credit card. You can use every single feature in this site absolutely for free. And only if you like it, you can choose to support us, which of course goes a long way. We have really big plans for Stock and Lock and everyone coming on now is an early adopter. So, you know, there's well over thousands of you in there now. Uh, those are subscribers and we're really grateful for every one of you. We're going to keep working hard every week over week, month over month into years and things can get big. So thanks for following the journey. To the good. Is Daniel a snowboarder? I used to be, big time. I haven't, I haven't been snowboarding too much recently, though. Um, Actually, Simon and I have been emailing. Hello, Simon. I just made that connection. I'm so sorry. Lots of, lots of faces in here today. Oh, e, someone asked about Ehang. Is that even worth talking about, or is that just kind of a bubble? That was just a bubble speculation. Yeah. Something I do not want to even think about talking about. That was one of my speculative plays in 2021, and man... Just go look at that chart. That's that's what speculation can do. Um, Jake, what are your top three to five filters to screen? Oh, I love looking at smaller stocks. Uh, maybe we should do a, maybe we should do a screen share. Yeah, I'm going to. <clears throat> oh, you're okay, cool. So I'll I'll just direct you then. I love playing with the market cap filters. The reason why is it is a lot easier to 10x a company that's trading between 500 million market cap and 10 billion than to 10x a company that is from like 50 to 100 billion. One of my only reservations on Airbnb, and I started a position in that company, is that when I opened it, they were at about 65 billion market cap. They're at maybe like 55 now. I'm like hoping that comes down more, but you know, those are harder to 10x than smaller ones. I yeah. also really, really love balancing the growth score with the profitability score, Daniel, because our growth score will tell you how profitable a company is, which I really enjoy, but it has to be balanced with profitability in the stock, meaning that they're actually. You, you go through these examples all the time that revenue growth isn't everything. 
So I find that using those filters in combination too works well for me. Lastly here, and then I will rest, sneak peek. We do have a designed feature where users will be able to share their screener configs. We call them presets, I believe. That name might change, but in 2023, we are hoping to get to that. Also, if you really like Stock and Lock, share it with your friends, get them to sign up. The more subscribers that come up, the sooner we can go and hire another engineer. And you best believe it, there is so much great stuff for us to do here. So now I'm done. All right. I got yeah. carried away with Stock and Lock. I like to use the three filters that I find myself using almost all the time are the exchange, the market cap, and the industry. So for myself, I don't really like commodity companies like oil and gas. I also don't like mining companies because I just think they're super unpredictable. So I filter out all of the unpredictable sectors, in my opinion, or the sectors that I don't know about. And I do that with the industry filter. And then the market cap, it depends on what I'm looking for. Like my last screen was market cap between 30 and 200 million. So I was definitely looking for some smaller cap opportunities. But typically my favorite market cap range, I don't know why that keeps closing. My favorite market cap range is like, I want to say probably 1.5 billion to about... 10 billion because I think this is the area where companies are you can find some some opportunities where companies can still like 10x over the long term and these are still pretty big companies like if you go outside of the stock market and you go into the real world and you think a two billion dollar company is still a massive company maybe not relative to like Apple but you know that's still a big company in real life so these are kind of the the filters that I like to use to find some pretty solid investments. You can see right here, Equitable Bank is number one on these screener filters, and I own this stock. Um, this one right here uh, is on my watch list, but these are probably some pretty solid stocks with high insight scores. And yeah, that's definitely how I how I start looking around for some stocks. Can you hit that star on the side? I just want to highlight to everyone that. Uh, we did get asked for this after we launched and we added it. So we make it really easy for you to just keep track of stocks that you want to follow. So create as many watch lists as you want. You had that little convenience button right there. Made engineers approved. Yeah, but the reason that I like our screener so freaking much, man, is because with all these other screeners, I'm serious. Like, I'm a user of this planet. But the reason I like it is because we we score the insights or the fundamentals of every business, right? So these top stocks right here have most likely have pretty strong fundamentals. Now, if you go to the end here and you take a look at these stocks, these stocks have low insight scores, which means that their fundamentals probably aren't that good. So I personally, I don't even look at these stocks. So when I screen for stocks now, I know where I can focus my attention on the good stocks because I don't even want to look at these companies right here. Like for example, let's go just take a look at this one, the worst insight score that popped up on the screener. Uh, poor Ballard Power, dude. What did Ballard yeah. Power ever do to you? Come on. I, I mean, it's got some bad insights. It's got negative free cash flow, and it has only grown revenue by 3.7% over the past year. Apparently, they have money in the bank, though. They got money in the bank, but like gross profit has declined by 116%. Profitability, their negative gross margin. Like, that's what I mean. If I ever see a negative gross margin, I'm like not even interested, right? So yeah. we, we got I'm... some great comments here. Uh, Ralph, thank you for being here every week. I don't know if this is a promise, but he's saying stock unlock subscriptions from me. Um, hit that guy up. Also, fun fact, Ralph is uh, the chief bottle washer of Stock Unlock. It is the first unofficial title we have ever given anyone, and it's a, a badge of honor. So, Ralph, thank you 
for being such a loyal supporter of Stock and Lock. We have a good question about price to free cash flow, ROIC, and I thought, Daniel, maybe it's too early to share and don't gasp because engineers normally don't say this. Portfolio tracking is in beta, and I know that you have this portfolio. Is it worth screen sharing and showing that? I mean, it's a little sneak peek. So, no, we don't have a watch list for that today. Um, oh, I could make a watch list for my million dollar portfolio. I definitely could do that. That would take like five minutes. Um, it's a good idea. But, the, I haven't made a portfolio update because, as I said at the beginning of the stream, all of the BAM information is not in in platforms yet, and stock unlock is included in that. So if we head over to my portfolio, the financial data overlord overlords. Yeah. So if we go to my million dollar portfolio challenge right here, and uh, just give it a minute to load, we can see that it had this big drop recently when BAM did its share split. And that's because I don't have the BN shares in the portfolio because, you know, BAM became BN. Oh, I do have the BN shares now. Oh, hey. but they're at but they're at a negative twenty seven percent loss now because we don't we didn't handle that split correctly yet. So Jake, we actually need to talk about that. But um I'm this not feature is in beta this feature is in beta, by the way. So for everyone looking at this, this is not launched. Yeah. But this position is not actually down twenty seven percent. It's probably down in reality three to five percent but it's causing this massive loss in the portfolio and i also don't have the bam shares added to my portfolio that i was gifted from bn so the portfolio currently has this pretty significant drop that um i need to figure out how to fix but yeah this is the portfolio tracking feature right here can you put some of the other other tabs i'm getting excited yeah the breakdown See what I'm, I'm working on the dividend stuff this week. So like our dividend section is about to get a lot of new features. Um, that top right part's going to look a lot prettier. We're going to start showing the historical dividends more. Uh, the activity tab is done so you can see like dividends paid, all that. We are having a blast building this portfolio tracker. So if you are a user of Stock and Lock or if you'd like to try us out again when this gets launched, we're aiming for the beginning of January. So stay tuned. Yeah. And again, this is all in beta. So all of the all the things that I just talked about with this, like we're going to fix all that. It's in beta. We're still building it out. It's it's not released yet, and that's why we're still building it. <laughs> Making sure. Uh, fun little chirp for me. That pie chart that you're seeing took so much tinkering in code. I will just say that there is a lot of love and passion that goes into the software. So, passionate investors, passionate engineers. Happy story. Yeah. I don't know about you, Daniel. I know uh, originally we were going for an hour. At, we are at an hour 37. I feel, I I hear a lot of foot tapping in my family's house and I might be overstaying the welcome of the basement. <laughs> yeah, I, were, I was just thinking I should probably, I should probably think about getting off here. So funny story though. I started this live stream with Jake before we started. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hard tap it an hour today. Okay. I'm actually only going to live stream for an hour. Hey, an hour I'm coming along. Leave. I'm like, but first, let me tell this story. Yeah, that, then, then the hour comes along and I'm like, I don't really want to stop. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know, man. It's fun. It's fun. The live streams are just a great time, okay? On times. Um, okay. But yeah, we should probably, uh, I should probably get off here. I'll say the chat GPT thing through the end. Daniel, I'm going to plug our swag shop just once more just because people have asked we did this at the start of the stream, but we had maybe like 20 people. I think we're at 270 now. Thank you everyone who's been tuning in. 
We had a lot of people ask us for this. We're not pushing you guys to buy swag. If you don't want it, just ignore me, but it's here. I'm going to drop the link again in the chat. And so we make no profits on the swag. Like we priced the swag store so that if we do make a profit, it's like 50 cents. Like we're not trying to push swag to be like, oh, we're going to make so much money off this. No, we're not making money off of this. People asked for it. We built it. If you want it, it's priced as cheap as it can possibly get. And yeah. Yeah, brand, that's, that's brand, aware, brand awareness play. But yes, yeah, some people have asked us. And the best way to support Stock and Lock is, of course, to subscribe or, you know, tell your friends. We're, of course, always growing. So. Okay, we got one more question from VJ. Okay. Because VJ's always here. I got to answer it. Any final thoughts on Cargo Jet? Is it your speculative play? I don't think, I don't think Cargo Jet is that speculative, really. I mean, they're generating a lot of cash flow and... um but that said, though, it's not a huge position. It's probably like 2% of my portfolio. I like the company. So, yeah. That's my opinion. I don't I don't think it's very speculative. Right. It might well, be. <laughs> I, I will close this out here because I don't trust Daniel to be able to in a funny way. <laughs> medicine, medicine, thank you for signing up. I do want to remind everyone uh, that this chat got sent. So, you know, I'm going to let the internet do what the internet does. Uh, you know, all jokes aside, please don't message Ralph. He... I think we have enough emails with each other. We don't want to include anyone else, but that is it. Have a great weekend up in the mountains. I'm going to be having a great weekend in New York coding dividend, uh, dividend features. I can't wait to show it to you when you come back. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, can't, guys. I can't wait to get that portfolio tracker released. Right, I'm going to hit this edit broadcast button now. All right. Mile on wave until it goes through. Bye everyone. Thanks for tuning in.